Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Welcome and say good evening, good morning, good afternoon, because we're welcoming people from all over the place this evening. Um, Welcome to the sixth episode of Maternity and Midwifery Hour. Uh, My name's Sue McDonald and it's my great pleasure to be the curator for Midwifery and Maternity Hour and the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my delight actually to be chairing this session this evening. It's really good. We're joined by Michelle Anderson and Judith Ellenbogen to talk about perinatal mental health. And I know this is something that many of you are interested in and want to really address. So it's really fantastic. I've got two such fantastic experts with us this evening. But of course, what we do to our guests is always put them on the spot first thing and ask them for a little moment of the week that they can share with us. So shall I start with Judith, perhaps? And I did. Um, put, I have put them both on the spot this evening. Right. Well, thank you for putting us on the spot. <laughs> um, I think my unique moment of the week was that I had a very good communication with IT in the hospital this week, because it's usually a very frustrating um, time speaking to (laughs) IT, and actually something worked out, and um, my desktop was put actually on my computer at Barnett Hospital, so I was overjoyed. (laughs) Wow. Oh, IT. (laughs) Power over IT. That's fantastic. That is a very big plus. Isn't it? Fantastic. Thank it you, Judith. <laughs> How about Michelle? Um, so, yeah, so I had a, a lovely moment where we went to see my son who's at university and we went to a lovely Japanese restaurant and the food Ooh. is amazing. And it was just really, really lovely. So that was my very special moment. It's almost like normal life. It's, it's, it's it does feel a bit like that. Yeah, it really does. Well, thank you for sharing your moments. We're going to return to Judith and Michelle. But of course, first, I'm just going to do a little roundup uh, of what's happening. First of all, just to remind you that the uh, Maternity Midwifery Hour was born with the pandemic. And that was a way of keeping everyone in touch and also making sure that people were getting information in a very digestible accessible when lots of things very hot off the press and we're still managing to do that which is lovely um and also with supported by matflix who look after all the sort of mechanics of it all and i'm sure my my colleagues at matflix would would say that's the wrong word to use but that makes sure that everything is recorded everything is accessible so that if you need any information for your uh, midwifery degree or for your um, that revalidation that's very much on people's minds I know and um, this is the source this is the place to go to get really up-to-date and interesting information in a very kind of easy way to just to listen to the experts is a real delight so do access it when you have a minute if, if you're if you're in that situation it's all free and it's perfect 
so you can and you can share so this evening if you miss any of this or you have to skip some of it you can access it after tonight you can get you'll get the kind of uh, the link to the whole recording after this and you can share it with your colleagues all for free and in fact that's a really nice thing to do if you want to for example raise the issue of perinatal mental health in your unit this is the perfect way of doing it isn't it so that's fantastic now i'm going to also say what i often do say and that's a big thank you to all my nhs colleagues all our colleagues in the maternity services who are all working super hard as they've been working for super hard for two years and and at the moment i know that the the pandemic's seems to be easing a bit but I know also that people are still poorly I know people have got long Covid and so that's left some gaps in the workforce and people are having to cover those gaps and are doing it brilliantly as always so thank you to all of you for doing that and also for being so creative and innovative and fantastic basically aren't midwives wonderful that's a little advert for all midwives because one of the things I've learned over this couple of years is in spite of the pandemic, which has been such a hard experience, midwives have really risen to it and they've done some very interesting and innovative things to make sure women and babies are well served. And that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm celebrating that. But people are tired and stressed. So look after yourselves. And again, I always say that, but I really mean it because you have to look after yourself before you can look after others. So that's that. That's it. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Okay, I've got a little bit of news. Now, I always have a a kind of day of, but I couldn't find anything very interesting except on Friday, it's drink wine day. How good is that for me? I like the sound of that. On the 17th, it's National Random Acts of Kindness Day. Now that's tomorrow. So that means you just do something kind to somebody and they should do something kind back to someone else. And it's a really nice, nice thing to have. In, in your life um, and also this is very apt anyone who's been watching this will know this is one of my favorite things the uh, action for happiness calendar and this is February and guess what today it's the 16th they say check in on someone who may be struggling and offer to help now how relevant is that for our topic this evening very good anyway other things that are out I've got a little pile of goodies things. I, you can't take the teacher out of me, I'm afraid. So we have this, and I haven't read it all, and that's this, um, the NHS Race and Health Observatory, Ethnic Inequalities in Healthcare. And there's a whole section on maternity services and on staffing also. I haven't read it all, but I'm going to over the, this next couple of days because so I think it's it's quite a thickish document but you can get it free online and it's on your list of resources and it's a very useful thing to know that it's about because it has got recommendations for some of the things that we are doing in maternity and what we need to do. The other thing that's out this week was the maternity survey from the, from the CQC um, which I thought was again very interesting and I have read that because it's quite manageable, not too thick. And that's that there's increased continuity of care. Yay. And there's better management of perinatal mental health. And more women got asked about their mental health in that last period of time. But going back to last week's issue, postnatal care still needs improvement. 
as always. So that's our that's our bedtime reading. But this is it's very interesting. And if you it again, the links are on your resources sheet. So you can go in and have a look and you can check out your own unit and see what you you're doing, how you're doing. Anyway, tonight we're going to be looking at perinatal mental health and those uh, perinatal health problems are those that occur during pregnancy or in the first year following the birth of a child. And this affects up to 20% of new and expectant mums and covers a wide range of conditions. And we know that it can have very bad effects on women. And it's particularly um, difficult as they're having to cope with being a new mum, new parent, and just feeling tired from that. So I'm really so pleased that we've been uh, able to have two lovely experts in the field with us this evening. And I'm going to start by introducing Michelle Anderson, who is a senior research midwife at the Royal Free Hospital, or I should say the Royal Free NHS Foundation Trust, North Thames CRN Reproductive Health and Childbirth Champion, and final year MRes as a Master's in Clinical Research. And um, she's a student at Cl uh, King's College uh, London for that and her research area of interest guess what is perinatal mental health and she's just published a fabulous book about it so I'm really pleased that Michelle's with us this evening so welcome Michelle and the screen is now yours. Thank you very much I'm really excited to um, be here to talk to you about this tonight and I, I can't claim to be an expert um, Definitely not, but I am very passionate about perinatal mental health. And I suppose I want to talk to you really about why I thought it would be a very good idea to put together a book on perinatal mental health for midwives and student midwives. So I want to take you on a bit of a journey. So you can see uh, a picture here and that of my daughter. And part of my experience in perinatal mental health is through lived experience, through both my daughter and my stepdaughter. And this picture here, and I'm not showing her face, and so she'll be absolutely fine with it, is a picture of my daughter a few years ago um, when she was going through a hypermanic episode. And she had lovely long hair. And through this hypermanic episode, and being very impulsive, she shaved everything off. And this was after some psychiatric inpatient admissions. And I really came to learn through this lived experience of caring for somebody with a mental health illness that actually sometimes mental health can be very loud and you can really see those symptoms manifesting um, through that illness. But sometimes equally it can be very silent and you might not always realize that somebody is going through internal struggles on a day-to-day -day basis. And that was really a, a big learning curve for me. And also like with any illness, sometimes lots of people can fall in between. So I think that mental illness, physical illness equally is important. And it really got me thinking because sometimes I felt very helpless and I didn't know what to do. And I thought about these young women and I thought about their mental illness. And I thought about lots of young women who might have mental illness and, and actually young men too, who one day might want to become fathers 
young women might want to become mothers. And as a midwife, I thought, well, what can I do just to maybe help a little bit, just to help women feel maybe more supported and help get the word out a little bit more about perinatal mental health? And that's when I thought, okay, so perhaps a book might be a good idea. And this is the result of that. So it was written by, in collaboration with definitely lots of experts, including Judith, who's, who's uh, online with us today. Um, and I thought I would give you a bit of an overview of what's in this book and what's included in it. Um, because I think that probably some of it is what you would expect. So an overview of perinatal mental health illnesses, and that includes eating disorders and personality disorders and uh, other severe mental illness. Um, and also medications used to treat perinatal mental illness, because I think as midwives quite often, there seems to be a lack of training around this. Um, and that's something that seems to come up time and time again. And so I think understanding, just having a very basic understanding of the types of medication that are used to treat illnesses associated with mental health, is really important. And also, and Judith will talk more about this a bit later on, psychological concerns. So uh, looking at the different areas in, in pregnancy uh, where women might experience phobias and, or perhaps have had previous losses and previous traumatic births. And I think it's worth saying at this point that actually, you know, for, for some births, sometimes what, you know, what a midwife might think, oh, that, that was a really lovely birth. For a woman, there may be elements of that that might be traumatic. And I think it's really subjective. And I think that we all have to remember that. And also things like complex social factors that might contribute to perinatal mental illness. And, and I think if we, we think back um, to the Membrace Report in 2019, which highlights uh, approximately 549 women died between 2015 and 2017, and 20% of those women were known to social services. So again, all of these factors uh, contribute to perinatal mental illness. I think there's a chapter in this book as well that captures really beautifully cultural perspectives um, and really talks about uh, not just different cultures, and that's really important, but also that some women aren't happy after they've given birth. Um, because I think in lots of societies, there's this expectation that women should feel happy after giving birth. They should feel happy because they have a, a new baby. But for some women, that's just not the case. And, uh, and this chapter written by Cathy Ashwin really addresses that. And, and it's a really lovely chapter to read. We also include a, a little bit on the parent-infant relationship and how mental illness can impact on that. And we bring fathers in here as well. And, and that's really important because we know that there's an RCOG report telling us that actually many men, fathers, experience anxiety and depression after babies are born, but there's a lack of resources there to support them. So that was another thing that was really important to include. And then, it, and, and this is, I, I love this chapter, it's midwifery toolkit. So for all, all the midwives out there, because actually all of us at some point will come into contact with women who may be affected by perinatal mental illness. And uh, I think it's really important that we have something that we can go to, 
that will actually help inform our practice. And this chapter is all about that. So looking at how to support women during the antenatal, intrapartum and the and postnatally too. And um, I think fundamentally, we look at the psychological aspect of intrapartum care, thinking about things like expectation, control and outcome. And those form a large part of the discussions in that chapter. And also Anna Maidley, who mm. contributed to this chapter too, talks about creating a safe space for birth uh, during this chapter. So there's also, we, we also thought it was really important to think a little bit laterally as well and think about other factors that might contribute to the development of, of mental illness or increased anxiety. Um, and we were lucky enough to have Professor Damien Riggs, who wrote a chapter, uh, co-authored a chapter, uh, looking at uh, experiences of midwifery care, both positive and negative, for men, trans, masculine, and non-binary people. Um, and actually, in that chapter, you get a real sense of how some people feel going through that pregnancy continuum. Uh, and some people do feel very isolated and alone. And it massively depends on the midwifery care that you receive. And the last chapter really focuses on um, extraneous factors that might contribute to uh, you know, perinatal mental illness. Um, so there's lots in the media about perinatal mental health, which is a good thing. And two things that we just can't ignore uh, are COVID-19. Um, and I think importantly, social media. Um, COVID-19 from my own research that I conducted during the pandemic during the first and second wave, uh, where we conducted a mixed methods design um, and through an interim analysis, we looked at that qualitative element and women really spoke to us about how they felt. And, you know, women were feeling very isolated. Uh, they were feeling alone. They were very worried about what might happen to them during labour. If they had COVID, would they, would they actually receive any care? Some women talked about how their partner might feel detached and did feel detached because of restrictions put in place by the hospital to help um, prevent the spread of the viral transmission of COVID-19. And also black and ethnic minority women found it really scary that they were, they were hearing all of these news reports saying, you know, that they were increased risk of being hospitalized from COVID-19. And if you think back to that time during the first and second wave of COVID, it was a really scary time for, for pregnant women and also for everybody who was working in the NHS. I know that I felt very scared sometimes, especially during that first wave where we knew nothing about COVID. So that also factors into this chapter and also social media, which can be massively positive, but actually we know that it can also be quite damaging. So things like um, isolation and for young women, especially body image, things like cyberbullying and actually feeling inadequate when you're comparing your life to what you're seeing on social media, which is quite often, um, you know, a, a virtual life that doesn't really represent what's happening in reality. So that's basically an overview of the book. And um, there's lots of clinical practice points and uh, top tips and uh, also a section on how midwives can look after themselves as well. And um, little copy of it right here. So there you go. Um, so really just to finish off, I suppose, and, and I'm sure many of you watching this will know, will know this already, but I think it's always good to, to bring this, 
bring this back and look at the scope uh, and the enormity of perinatal mental health and perinatal mental illness. So women can develop mental health issues for the first time during pregnancy. And I think that's something that's so important to be aware of, because actually, you know, as a midwife, you might it might be the first time that this woman is disclosing something to you, how she's feeling about her own mental health. And it's such, you know, it, it's so powerful to enable somebody to be able to do that. One in five mothers suffer from anxiety and depression in the antenatal period or the first year after birth. Now, again, that's, that's a huge amount of, of women suffering from depression and anxiety. One in 1,000 women develop postpartum psychosis and that risk is increased with existing mental illness. Um, and again, you know, for women where they feel like they've got to hide things because there's still a huge stigma in some cultures surrounding mental health, you might be as a midwife that first point of contact where you can you know talk to the woman and really find out what's going on for her and actually also talk to the families as well and provide that holistic care so I think it's really key to say that midwives can play a huge role in supporting women especially as part of the wider multidisciplinary team and what I've learned as well through my own experiences of uh, mental illness um, is that Sometimes you can't fix things and it's not always about fixing things, but it's about acknowledging and validating and sometimes just listening and nodding and holding somebody's hand. Sometimes that's all you need to do to make somebody feel empowered enough to talk about their mental health and how they're feeling. And that's the same for fathers who might experience that low mood and depression and on postnatal visits, again, you might be that one person who that father, that mother feels that they can talk to. So I just want to leave you with a final thought. Um, this, is not, uh, this is not new, uh, it's very old actually, but it's something that I come back to all the time because people will forget what you said, forget what you, what you do, but actually, and I think this is absolutely key in validating and acknowledging, how people feel, they will never forget how you made them feel. And as midwives, I think that, you know, we're probably already very aware of that, how we make women feel, how we make families feel, how we build those relationships is so important. Thank you for listening. Fabulous, Michelle, thank you. You've, you've kind of made, and, and lots of things are going through in my brain, and I'm sure in, in our audience as well. So that, do put in your questions because they'll come through, which is why I look over here, you know that. And, and if you have questions for Michelle, we can throw them at, at her when, at the end of the session. But it, I mean, it, it, when you were talking, one of the key things I was thinking as a midwife, and I know I've, I've, I've found that in my own practice, Sometimes because you are that woman's continuity and you're seeing her day after day, you are often the one that will pick up when something is going horribly wrong. And I know that there's a situation of a woman with purple psychosis. I could see what was happening. It was almost like a textbook. But I don't I mean, she wouldn't have known that. But it's yeah. your, your point about make the midwife being there and making the woman feel okay and safe is so important because you are that holding that woman and her family together 
in a lot of ways and making sure she's getting the right sort of help. So thank you so much for getting us started. Okay, we'll have some questions when they come through. So come along, audience. Now's your time. Michelle and Judith will be fantastic at questions as well. And we've, we've got it beautifully timed, so that'll work really well. So I'm going to now introduce Judith Ellenbogen. And, and I'm really delighted she's with us this evening. She's a specialist women's health counsellor in maternity and gynaecology, also at the Royal Free London Foundation, NHS Foundation Trust. We've got such long headings nowadays, haven't we? Prior to this, she's worked in haematology with blood cancer patients in the same trust. She was previously a senior psychiatric social worker working in a child and family consultation unit. So she's got bags of experience that she's going to share with us this evening. So welcome, Judith. The screen is now yours. Well, thank you very much, Sue. Um, first of all, I would like to thank you very much for asking me to speak. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, firstly, about the importance of psychological support in the perinatal period. And then to talk to you about um, some, you know, many of the referrals that we get of um, women patients. So to begin with, I'd like to speak about the importance of providing psychological support in the perinatal period. Pregnancy, birth and the postnatal period is such an important time physically and psychologically for both the mother and baby. Counseling at this time can help protect women from deepening depression and anxiety with consequences for their long-term mental health. For the baby, the physical and psychological care from the mother or significant caregivers can have a lasting impact on relationships in the future. The baby internalizes these relationships from very early on, whether they are nurturing and loving ones or neglectful, abusive ones. This then affects how they relate to others throughout childhood and into adulthood. The importance of this early attachment and relational behavior to others is shown in the work of several psychoanalysts. For example, Bowlby in 1969 talked a lot about it, Klein in 1940 and Winnicott in 1973, and there are many, many others afterwards. Pregnancy for most women raises many thoughts and feelings about themselves, their identity, how they were parented, and what sort of mother they would like to be. Many women with the support and help of their partner, family and friends and support networks will find ways of managing this transition to parenthood. For some, for some women, pregnancy might trigger psychological difficulties or it may exacerbate pre-existing mental health issues. In England, the Perinatal Mental Health Services Report for London in 2017 highlighted how important it was to provide psychological support and interventions to pregnant women from women's health counseling services and specialist men perinatal mental health services. In my experience in the service I work for, we have noticed that pregnancy is a time women are often much more open to counseling services and it does feel less stigmatizing and more acceptable. Psychological input at this point plays an important role in preventing potential psychological breakdown later in life. This is the time when the baby learns about attachment and relating to others. A mother, for example, who is anxious and depressed 
in her pregnancy may not be able to relate to the baby she is carrying, respond and recognize the baby's needs. In turn, the baby may learn that whatever way it responds, it does not get any reaction from its mother or caregivers. And, and it then either becomes less responsive, cries more or appears more anxious. This in turn can be the beginnings of a less helpful way of relating to others. In our service, we see women of all ages, from late teens to women in their 40s, women from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic groups and religions. We see asylum seekers and refugees, women who identify as heterosexual and LGBTQ, women who are disabled and neurodiverse, and women who have partners and women who are single. We are referred, women are referred to our service for several reasons. Some of these are historical and some have emerged for the first time during pregnancy. So first of all, I'm going to talk about some of the historical reasons. Um, and these include women who've had previous mental health problems. This includes anxiety, depression, eating disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, to just name but a few. Often the pregnancy will exacerbate these conditions. And the, serv the service I work for does not offer counseling to women who have had severe mental health problems like psychosis, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. These women are referred to the specialist mental health service and are under psychiatrists and psychiatric nurses who monitor their condition and medication and provide the appropriate therapeutic support. We liaise with these specialist service for some of the women we work with and we cross refer. Women are referred to have had previous loss of a baby through a termination, miscarriage or stillbirth. For these women, the new pregnancy raises anxiety and fears of a repeated loss. This can cause added stress in the pregnancy and it can prevent the woman from becoming attached to the baby for fear of possible loss again. This may result in a feeling of detachment and inability to relate to her baby, which can in some cases result in further difficulties after the baby is born. Sometimes women who have had a loss have further difficulty, have not processed and found a way of living alongside the previous loss. This can then result in the next baby being related to as a replacement baby. Such a situation can have long-term psychological consequences on the baby that carries these, this. Psychological interventions during the pregnancy can help considerably in preventing future psychological difficulties for both mother and the next baby. Women who have had a previous traumatic birth and women who have had complications in birth are referred. I, um, a woman may never have spoken about what happened at her previous birth or may have repressed that experience only to find it re-emerges as she is about to give birth again. Having counselling can help her process what happened previously and understand her underlying fears so that she feels more in control of her emotions. It can also, in practical terms, enable her to think with members of the multidisciplinary team, better ways of managing the birth and feeling more in control of what happens. Many of the women that are referred to our service are those with a history of sexual abuse, 
domestic violence and safeguarding issues. Women referred may have experienced discrimination based on race, gender, sexuality, disability or religion. Some women referred have a history of previous postnatal depression and are fearful this will reoccur after the next birth. Having a counseling space to explore their previous postnatal depression and to discuss alternative strategies with the counselor of preventing a reoccurrence is important preventative work for both mother and baby. Other women are referred to our service as they have a history of complex relationships, especially with their own mothers and find attachment issues problematic. So going on to a second reason for um, women um, being referred to our service, um, these include a number of areas. Some women have fears of becoming a parent. This, this may be related to their own experience of being parented and their fear that they will repeat the experience they had of an abusive or neglectful parent. They can express ambivalence about the pregnancy, wanting a child, but also being fearful about the responsibility of parenthood, the loss of professional identity, loss of financial independence, the demands of a dependent baby, the loss of their past life and spontaneity. All these thoughts and feelings can produce anxiety, stress and depression. Having a space to, to speak about their fears openly without being ju judged often helps women feel more in control of their feelings. Relationships with partners, parents or friends may change during a pregnancy, changes that they have not predicted. They may feel isolated, have little or no network of friends. They may suffer from antenatal anxiety and depression. This might be a new experience and it might produce fear and panic attacks never experienced before. In my service, we offer psychodynamic counseling, cognitive behavior therapy, and a mixture of both. The psychodynamic counseling is focused on attachment and relationship, re relational work. In this approach, we explore how the present issues relate to past experiences, in particular to early childhood experiences. We explore the unconscious processes that are at play in producing for example, the anxiety or the depression. In cognitive behavior therapy, we are more focused on the present and offering various strategies of managing feelings. These include things like mindfulness, relaxation and breathing exercises, challenging negative thought patterns and reframing these thoughts, distraction, desensitization, breaking down problems into more manageable areas and visualization. I thought I, um, I think I've got a bit of time to just give you a brief example of a composite case we included in the book um, that me, Michelle spoke about um, using a psychodynamic approach. So I'm just going to sort of read from this. Um, Dee is a woman in her early 30s, originally from New Zealand. This was her first pregnancy. The pregnancy was planned and much wanted. She lived with her partner and she was referred to the Women's Health Counseling Service as she was experiencing anxiety, low mood and insomnia. She had experienced some anxiety and stress related to her work in the past 
However, she was surprised to find herself feeling psychologically distressed at a time when she imagined she would actually feel excited and hopeful in her first pregnancy. There were several strands to Dee's symptoms as we gradually explored her thoughts in the counseling sessions. It transpired that although she very much wanted a baby, she felt ambivalent about the huge change this would mean in her life. She felt guilty about acknowledging and expressing these feelings as if by admitting them, they would harm the baby and she would be punished. Her identity was bound up with her success successful career and she feared the loss of status and position that could result from maternity leave. The counselling aimed to normalise these feelings as in fact many women in her position have similar thoughts and feelings in particular acknowledging negative as well as positive feelings about the pregnancy helped Dee to start to appreciate the complexity of her emotions and to come to terms with them. It was also important to explore that having thoughts and feelings did not mean they transformed into reality and that it was beneficial to express them rather than act upon them. Dee felt that she would damage the baby psychologically by admitting she felt ambivalent. It emerged in the counselling that Dee's mother had given up her own career to look after her, and she had expressed some resentment and anger about having done this. Dee was consequently worried that she may have the same feeling towards her own child. In the counselling sessions, it transpired that Dee had very high expectations of herself and was a perfectionist. She wanted to have the perfect natural birth and to be the best mother to her child. She was, in, she was inhabited by a highly critical and judgmental internal voice. She also liked to be in control. All of this was increasing her anxiety, low mood and insomnia. And we explored the origins of her perfectionism and then looked at the underlying unconscious fears. She explained that both her parents had high expectations of her as a child. They wanted her to excel at school and, very, and were very critical of any failure. She had internalized these views and they had become part of the way she perceived herself and the pressures she put on herself. She had not been aware of this and she was then able to see how damaging this had been for her and could potentially be to her child if she repeated a similar pattern. It transpired that her perfectionism was a defense she used unconsciously to hide her fear of weakness, vulnerability, and falling apart. These fears related to her mother, who during the whole of her childhood and teenage years had suffered from various illnesses and had issues with mental health to the extent of at times being an inpatient in a psychiatric hospital. For Dee, this meant she felt pressure to be strong and resilient, unable to share with others her fears of what she considered her weakness. This exacerbated her anxiety and added to the stress she placed on herself. It became apparent that she held an underlying fear of experiencing similar mental health problems to her mother, and she had to defend herself against this possi possibility by repressing such thoughts. Instead, these thoughts emerged as anxiety and low mood. And being able to consciously voice her thoughts and feelings openly in a safe and confidential setting, these fears became less powerful. She could begin to see that by acknowledging areas she perceived as a weakness or failure, 
she could be more open and intimate with her partner and friends and feel less alone. She saw that by expressing her vulnerability in the counseling sessions, she hadn't fallen apart or become mentally ill and neither had her counselor. This was especially important as it contrasted with her experience of her mother who had been unable to cope in this way. Dee became aware that the way her mother experienced physical pain had affected her so that she had internalized a terror of such pain, which was then transferred onto her fears of how she would experience childbirth. Her mother had unconsciously instilled in her an idea that health professionals could not be trusted and that she would have to manage on her own. I hope that gives you a, a sort of taste of the type of sort of um, counselling work that um, comes our way in the Women's Health Counselling Service. Gosh, wow. <laughs> Judith, that, that, that's really fantastic, but it, it sort of made me think, you, you could start to think that Dee has that problem and then her mum had a problem and then you think, well, where did she have that problem? So it's sort of almost like just recapturing yes. each time. And what a huge amount of work and to unpick all of that mm. and, and all the implications of, of that woman mm. viewing health practitioners with suspicion. So it's almost like trying to start it all over again, isn't it? Gosh. Wow. Thank yes. you so much. Mm. <laughs> thank you so much. That, that's been really fantastic to have that case study, especially because I think what you were talking about before you've brought all the threads together in that lovely case study it's fantastic very very thought-provoking and I know the audience are already sort of asking a few queries so if I may I might throw some questions at our lovely speakers now we've had um, one question that was um, from Begum hi Begum and she says, dear Michelle Anderson, how can I get your book? And she's in Istanbul. So she's joined us from Istanbul in Turkey. Welcome. Oh, I don't hello. know the answer. I don't know the answer. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it can be ordered. Um, well, thank you. Um, and it can be ordered online. Um, so I think actually if you, if you Google midwifery essentials, perinatal mental health, um, it should come up and you can get it from... Well, I'll say the line, any good bookshop. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> say the line, say the line. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And um, so, that, and it's on, remember, Begum, it's on the list of resources. So the whole reference is there if you need to get that. Okay, so thank you for that question. Now we've got Chris Warren. Hi, Chris. Now, Chris has put a couple of questions in, as she often does. So thank you for that, Chris. The first question is, what about the lack of available referral? I find it easy for psychosis, but difficult for conditions like anxiety and depression, even if it's very debilitating. But I think that might be one for Judith. Um, it's a, thank you for that question. And it's a very um, good point, really. Um, I, th I mean, various hospitals do have women's health um, counselling services or women's health psychology. And usually they will, um, certainly our service, and I know other services, certainly in London hospitals that are similar, will um, take referrals of anxiety and depression, um, which is mild and moderate, not the sort of severe end. 
Um, I think if there isn't a service actually attached to maternity in the hospital, then um, the uh, well, then local psychological services like IAPT or ICOPE will often um, prioritize actually pregnant women and um, women in the postnatal period. Um, so that's that's a good sort of referral source. Mm. And I suppose as, a, as a, a midwife, you need to know all your linkages. And I think once yes. you've, you've had to locate a specialist to support yes. your, your, your women, you might, you know, you know that person and you know what they can do. Because I think when you were describing mm. Dee's case, I'm thinking, well, none of us could unpick all of that. That's a specialist skill. Mm. And I can imagine if you started thinking you could deal with it uh, with very little counselling background, you could end up quite out of, like a fish out of water. I don't know if that's the right, right phrase. I don't know if you'd want to add to that, Michelle. No, I think absolutely. And I think one, I suppose one thing about this book, and I think it's a really important thing, is it's really a, a referral guide, if you like, because there's no way that you can fit in every possible thing about perinatal mental health. It's mm. so vast, it's so massive. And so it's really a, a reference guide for people to, to utilize that um, and to, to read more really, signposted to read more and read around other areas. And I think as well, the reason why that this book was written in a multidisciplinary fashion, um, not just by midwives or by a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counsellor is because actually that's how mental illness should be should be managed I suppose if you like um very multidisciplinary and, and I think that's a really key thing there yeah absolutely absolutely you need it you need a very good team approach to it I've got I mean another question from Chris um, is how can we stop the mum feeling guilty for damaging her baby if she's depressed? Because that's something Judith was talking a little bit about, the sort of uh, attachment issue. Did you want to answer that, Michelle? I think, I think as a mother, I, I, think, I think there's always an element of guilt that comes from being a mother. I don't know if you would agree with that, Judith, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not yes, a psychologist, yes. but... Um, yes, yeah. And and I suppose that again, as midwives, and, and we only really have a, a very small amount of time with mm. with women and their babies once the baby is born. Mm. Um, you know, again, it's about listening to the women and validating how they feel. But again, I think another key point here is that if we are very concerned about somebody and we mm. think that they need that further psychological support, then it is up to us to identify that. And make those and make those referrals to uh, somebody with more expertise or expertise in that area that can help them. Um, Judith, would you agree with that? Um, yes, I would agree that I think it is important to know when to refer on actually. Mm. Um, and I guess it's also important that many women do have a quite um, critical internal sort of voices and judgments mm. of themselves really and maybe to no help point that out to women really mm. and that this is a very difficult period and a very difficult transition really particularly mm. with the first pregnancy into a very different lifestyle and um mm. you know, it can be easy to feel sort of guilty because of feeling low 
because there's because of all the sort of changes and, and transitions, yeah. really. Because you don't get the same. I mean, it's always going to be the stigma of mental health, isn't it? Mm. Because if you if you break your wrist, everyone can see, oh, you've got a broken wrist, yes. we've got to look after you and make the tea mm. for you and everything. But if you're very sad or depressed or anxious, it's it's a it does carry a stigma, which I think is reducing. But I think maybe also women are expecting themselves to be super mum as well. Mm. It's yeah. difficult, isn't it, to, to balance all of that? Yeah. It's fantastic. Thank you for that interdi- interdisciplinary mm. answer. That was lovely. Mm. I've got a question from, oh, it's a comment. This is from Katie. Now I'm going to have difficulty pronouncing this, Katie. Polyakovic. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. So, Katie, thank you for your comment. It says, women and pregnant people are so amazing. Such transformation that's experienced. Hearing this makes us realise the importance of relational care and continuity Mm. even more. Listening and keeping them at the centre of care. More than anything that's needed to listen to to is their experience and their past and remaining aware of trauma-informed care. Mm. Even if a woman has someone that she trusts, listen to her and signpost that that might be enough for many. Thank you all so much. Well, Casey, that's a lovely, lovely comment. Now, I'm not sure if you're a student or you're a midwife, but whatever you are, you're getting a round of applause (laughs) because that's a lovely, lovely comment. Thank you so much. And, And I'm guessing reports about your book still so I think it's a popular place to go and Samantha Phyllis thank you for this Samantha says uh, some eating disorders in pregnancy are an organization with great resources now that's really good and I think what we're illustrating here is what we can do is share when you come across a really good place where there's lots of information or support it's always good to share with your colleagues which is fantastic so thank you for that and I've got, um, I, I have a comment from Paula Loftus. And I'm not sure if I quite understand because um, Paula says, have to admit EDs, I have less knowledge, but looking to find some good resources to study. Any references or pointers appreciated? Well, have a look at the, the sheet of, of uh, references. And Michelle's nodding as though she understands that point. I do. I oh, do. Fantastic. Eating disorders. <laughs> Unless I completely missed it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think might be right. disorders are, yeah, I mean, I, I think mm. important, as important as, as every other um, condition. And um, that we touch on it a little bit in the book um, as well. But again, there, there are um, a list of resources in the book as well that can uh, direct you to, uh, to gaining further information. So yeah, definitely, we all need to be a little bit more up on our knowledge, I think, on, on all areas, probably. So, Well, even the initials for things, which I didn't pick up. So sorry, Paula. And thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Fantastic. OK, and Jenny Hall. Hi, Jenny. Says, it seems to me that many women are receiving all the support needed during the antenatal period, but slipping through the net due to mm. lack of postnatal visits. Mm. Ah, a view from Judith and Michelle. Should we start with Judith? Because you were nodding. Uh, yes. So I, I really do agree with that because in my own service, we can only offer very limited now postnatal support. Mm. So between four and six sessions. And I think oh, okay. it is the postnatal period and, and post birth that is the most crucial, really, mm. um, because 
there's the recovery from the birth and it depends how the birth has gone. And then the transition to relating to a very dependent baby, plus the transition of change really from maybe having a very different sort of lifestyle and being at home, often quite isolated, not knowing sort of people in an area. So I think that that's a really important area and it depends very much on where you're living, whether there are sort of specialist services. For example, in Camden, there's the Anna Freud Center and the Tavistock Clinic, but I think that's quite unusual, whereas in other boroughs, there may be very, very little. Um, and again, the specialist perinatal mental health services um, certainly do more long-term postnatal work, but that's with the more severe psychiatric. Um, and so I think you've highlighted an area that definitely needs more attention, actually and more services provided for it. Okay. Any comments, Michelle? You're nodding again. You're yeah, nodding well, I mean, postnatal care has been dubbed um, Cinderella care, hasn't it, um, historically? And so we know the pitfalls, we understand the pitfalls of postnatal care. And actually, if we extend that further to, to mental health, then, you know, that becomes even larger. And I think this is really important then to think about extending multidisciplinary working. And this is where perhaps we have to go out to GP surgeries, you know, we have to get GPs more involved and more training for health visitors to, to recognise those signs. Because actually, you know, what we know is the first year after birth is usually a very critical time. And like I said earlier on, you know, midwives spend a very small amount, 10 days or perhaps 28 days if there are further concerns before we then hand over to health visitors. Um, GPs, fantastic opportunity at the six-week check to discuss mental health and how things are going but again that perhaps needs needs to extend further perhaps we need to offer you know further checks a few further months down the line maybe it's oh. six months mm. I don't know what the answer is but what I do know is it does need to be about multidisciplinary working and we do need to perhaps extend how we think about mental health postnatally oh. and acknowledge that first year after birth is a crucial time for women and their families. And maybe with this new approach of personalised care, because we talk about continuity care, we talk about individualised care. I'm not sure that we've quite got it, really, because mm. if we were doing individualised care, if we came across a mum who had a, a difficulty postnatally with depression or anxiety or anything of that, we'd have pinned in all of these services without it you know with with that planned in and I'm not sure that it's all joined up yeah. as yet but I'm I'm optimistic for the future just keep with yeah. it <laughs> and now oh, we've got Sherry Parker this is hi Sherry as a new student midwife about to go into practice or oh, brand new welcome uh, how best can I support women experiencing this with a lack of access to services this does seem an ongoing um, theme. Yeah, um, I, I think I think it is, and actually, it's not it's not just for pregnant women. I think it's yeah. it's for all people. We know the problems with uh, mental health care. We know the problems throughout the health service in the UK, um, yeah. and we know we know the the lack of resources. Um, and I think that's it's a that's a really important question. Um, how can you support women? And I think actually we come back to that, you know, listening, validating, acknowledging. 
um, and then really looking at what services are available in your area and, and, and how you can bring that care together to be the voice, I suppose, of, you know, multidisciplinary care um, and do what you can discuss with your mentor. I mean, you're just going into practice. Uh, so lots of luck. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really looking at, at, you know, we look at holistic physical care. We need to look at mental care, mental health holistically as well and actually combine both physical and mental because both are equally as important. Oh, absolutely. What do you think, Judith? I mean, I agree with you, actually. I, th I think we do have to look holistically, really. And I think your point about listening and acknowledging and validating um, a woman's experience is very important because I think for a long time that hasn't happened. Um, and just being able to do that, even if there are, aren't enough services in an area, is important in itself, really. But maybe it's also about as sort of midwives and members of the, and other members of the multidisciplinary team, putting pressure on hospitals and, um, yeah. you know, NHS commissioners um, in uh, highlighting the importance actually of antenatal yeah. and postnatal, um, you know, psychological services um, yeah. so that more resources are sort of given to this area. Yeah. So I think we have to campaign as well. Yeah. Now that's now that's midwives being political with a small p, yes, <laughs> and a big p as well. But but it's uh, and I, I think from what you're saying, I, what in, emphasizes for me is really listening, because mm. sometimes we we're listening but not really really listening, mm. and also link up with your colleagues because you can learn so much from colleagues interdisciplinary, mm. absolutely because we can't know everything. But we can know someone who does, <laughs> like the AA man. I think that was, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, I could I could listen to you both for ages because you've got so much expertise and so much generosity with that expertise. And I want to say a big thank you to Judith and to Michelle for joining us this evening. I think we're going to have to invite them again. I would love that. I would love that. I can't speak yeah. to you, but I would love that. <laughs> we'll it, we'll see. Nice. We'll see what you're doing in in our season seven later on in the year because that would be really good to keep revisiting it and just yes. raising mm. these issues and getting people mm. feeling more confident about dealing with it. So mm. thank you so much for joining us. On to say, and actually, as I'm on this point, putting things together, a big thank you to the practicing midwife and all for maternity. And I, there's a special reason for me saying that. I'm going to say thank you to our lovely guests, Michelle and Judith, for joining us this evening. Remember, the um, all the resources will be available on the website and you'll get your link to the whole presentation later on in the week and it will be available at Matflix. Don't forget to book for uh, the London Maternity and Midwifery Festival, which is 1st of March. If you can't make it live, it's in London, it has a huge bit of it. We've gone very hybrid. We're very hybrid. So we've got everything electronic too. So you can join us electronically if you're too far for traveling or you can't get the day off or whatever, you can join us that way. Now, next week, Maternity and Midwifery Hour, we've got the lovely Sheena Byrams chairing and she's going to be joined by Claire Feely and Becky Westbury. So they'll be with us looking at the asset model and looking at personalized care, which is very much on the agenda and we need to know about it as midwives so i'd just say 
a big thank you also to your lovely audience and thank you for some fantastic questions and comments and for joining us this evening and we'll see you next week same place same same time in the meantime stay safe stay well look after yourselves and we'll see you soon thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour this podcast has been made possible by the team at maternity and midwifery forum and our cpd partners matflix you can sign up at matflix.co.uk This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.